tonight. Well, if you haven't already done so, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, to those verses that I read. We often uh, refer to this passage as Paul's Damascus Road experience. Paul, who, as we've seen at the time, was known as Saul, uh, encounters Jesus, or should I say, is confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus, where he was headed to arrest Christians. And that encounter, that experience on the Damascus road changes him forever. The one who was a vicious opponent of Jesus' church becomes a fearless proponent of the gospel. The one who was a persecutor becomes one of the persecuted. And his conversion forever changes not only his life, but the history of the church. Because as I said, he is God's chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So this morning, I want us to look more closely at this encounter, and really, I want us to look at at both characters in the story. First, I, I want us to look at Saul, and I want us to consider the implications of Jesus calling a man like Saul. But I also want us to look at Jesus and consider the implications that it is Jesus himself Who calls Saul on the road to Damascus? So let's first begin by looking more closely at Saul. We were first introduced to Saul back in chapter 7, in the the story of of Stephen's execution. I told you that was the event that that sparked the persecution that led to the, the scattering of the church beyond the bounds of Jerusalem. But we were told just sort of subtly uh, in the account of his stoning that the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. He was there. He was there tending to the coats of those who were throwing the stones. And he was, we're told, approving of the execution. He believed that this was right. He believed that this was, this was uh, to the glory of God. He believed that, that they were purging uh, the people of God of these heretics who, who called Jesus God and looked to him as the Messiah. He approved of the murder of Stephen because Stephen proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. But now we find out that he didn't merely approve of this action. He didn't merely approve of this persecution. He participated in it. Notice what Luke says in the first verse of of chapter 9. He says that Saul was still breathing threats and murder against his disciples. He was still doing it. He had been doing it. Now, there's some debate exactly what it means that he was breathing threats and and murder. Was he he just talking or or was he actually doing something more than that? Whatever it was, it's clear that, that he saw the disciples of the Lord, that he saw those who called themselves Christians, those who were followers of the way. He saw them as enemies. He saw them as as threats to the welfare of Israel. He he regarded them as heretics who were going to bring God's curse down because they were worshiping this man, Jesus, as if he were God. And so he thought it was right 
to, to oppose them and to, to seek to stamp them out, to, to murder them. Because he thought in that way he was serving God and his kingdom. And he didn't just do this when he happened to encounter them. It's not just if he happened to, to meet a, a Christian, he would, he would seek to have him arrested. But he was actively pursuing them. We, we see this in verse 2. We're told that he asked uh, the high priest for letters to the synagogue in Damascus. Now, we're told here about Damascus because that's the, uh, the particular journey on which he was encountered by Jesus. But, but probably this was not the only time that, that Paul had traveled abroad to try to arrest Christians. He, he saw it as his, his duty, not just to oppose them when he happened to encounter them, but he was actively seeking them out. He was actively seeking to have them arrested, both men and women, not just the leaders, but anyone who belonged to the way. And Luke says that he was still doing this, which means he had been doing it for some time. This is the man that Jesus confronts on the road to Damascus. Someone who was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Jesus meets him on the road, but, but why? Why does Jesus come to, to meet him on the road to Damascus? Not to condemn him, not to destroy him, but to call him to repentance and to commission him for service. Just think about that for a moment. Don't, don't let the familiarity of the, of the story, that's one of the, the dangers of being uh, so familiar with these, these stories is we, we can pass by them too quickly. Don't let the familiarity of this story dull you to the wonder of what Jesus is doing here. I mean, just think about it for a moment. If all authority and power had been entrusted to you, what would you have done? How would you have used that power and authority when you met your enemy on the road? That Jesus uses his authority, that Jesus uses his power to call Saul to repentance is a profound wonder. And I think it holds for us a comfort, an encouragement, and a challenge. First, there's a, there's a comfort here. And, and the comfort has to do with the reach of the gospel. It's a, it's a comfort that says, you are not beyond the reach of Jesus' grace. There are some who think that Jesus would never want to have anything to do with them. Jesus would, would never want to, to call them to himself because because their sins are simply too great. It's not just that they have broken some, some arbitrary laws. They have done real evil and they know it. They, they have caused harm. They have hurt people. Their actions have had real consequences and those consequences have been terrible. And now they believe that they are simply beyond the reach of God's grace. You know, when you, when you break arbitrary laws, you don't feel too bad about it. I see this in my kids all the time. They're, they're pretty sure that the authorities are in the wrong for giving them a ticket for parking in the wrong spot because who makes up parking laws anyway? We, when we break arbitrary laws, we, we don't feel too bad about it. And we, we think we actually ought to be forgiven. We ought to be given a pass. But when we know that we have sinned, 
when we know that the things that we have done have, have hurt people, have caused damage to, to people we loved, have, have caused terrible consequences, we begin to feel the true weight of our sin. And when we feel the, the weight of our sin, it is easy for us to believe that our sins are too great, that we are too far gone, that we are beyond the reach of Jesus' grace. And when we get there, we, we believe that Jesus would never want to have anything to do with us, that Je Jesus would never call us. Yes, we know that Jesus is for sinners, but, but not for sinners like me. And this is true even of some who are in the church. Some who, who come and, and sit in the, uh, the, the sanctuary every Sunday. Maybe they grew up in the church and so they just still come. Maybe they are in the church for the sake of their, their children. But for one reason or another, they're, they're here. But even as they're here, they think that the gospel isn't for them. It's for everybody else. It's for all those other people who are not quite so far gone as they are. Their sins are too great. Their sins are too dark. Their sins are, are too wicked to be forgiven. I suspect there may be some of you here this morning who feel that way. You may, maybe you've never said it to anyone else. Maybe you even have a hard time admitting it to yourself, but you feel the weight of your sin in such a way that you believe that you are beyond the reach of the gospel. And if that is where you are this morning, you need the comfort that is found in the story of Saul. Look again. He hadn't just fallen short. He hadn't even just rejected Jesus. He was actively opposed to Jesus. He was a, a vicious persecutor of his church. And yet this is the man that Jesus calls. This is the man that, that Jesus chooses to be his instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. This man who, who, from a human perspective, is too far gone. God uses to, to demonstrate the wonder of the full reach of His grace. And that is the profound comfort of this passage. Wherever you are this morning, whatever it is that you have done, God's grace is for you. God's grace is for you. He is inviting you to come to him. He is inviting you to repent and to turn, promising that if you will, you will never be put to shame. It does not matter who you are or what you have done. If you call upon his name, he will receive you. That is the comfort of the reach of God's grace. Do not believe Satan's lie that you are simply too far gone. Because it is just that. It is a lie. But there's more than just a comfort here. There's also uh, an encouragement that's, that's rooted in the, the power of the gospel. Because not only does, does Jesus reach out to Paul, but, but he reaches Paul. 
Think about that. Paul is converted through this. We're going we're to see that and the, as the story unfolds. Uh, uh, where we left off this morning, he's simply befuddled and, and, and pondering blind in Damascus. But, but we know as the story goes on that he is going to be converted. He's going to become convinced that Jesus is the Lord. In fact, he's going to become the apostle of God's grace to the Gentiles. And so this is an encouragement to us. It reminds us of the power of the gospel that, that assures us that our loved ones are not beyond the reach of Jesus' grace. It's comforting to know that we are not, that, that, that we can come, but, but it's also comforting to know that our loved ones can be reached. Maybe you have someone in your life who has who has rejected Jesus, who has, who has wandered off from him, a spouse, a, a child, a, a family member, a, a good friend. Whoever it is, we, we all know someone who has rejected Jesus, someone who, who stubbornly refuses the, the invitation of the gospel, maybe even considers the gospel bad news, maybe even, even tries to refute it constantly, is, is not just uh, 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 against it, but is, is an opponent of it. But what we see here in Saul's story is that our loved one is not beyond the reach of Jesus' grace. Jesus doesn't just confront him. He doesn't just call him. He converts him. His grace reaches him and, and regenerates him. We, we see this, as I said, in the story as it unfolds. The, the opponent becomes a proponent. The, uh, the persecutor becomes persecuted. And that is an encouragement to every one of us who has a loved one who currently rejects and and opposes Jesus, it reminds us that they too can be reached. And therefore, we ought to continue to pray for them. We, we ought not to lose heart. We ought not to, to give up. But we ought to continue to pray for them, that God would draw them to himself, that God would open their eyes to see, that he would give them ears to hear the wonder of the good news, that he would open their, their hearts to receive it. We ought to continue to pray for God to do what only God can do through the ministry of the gospel. And we ought to be willing to be ministers of that gospel as we have opportunity. It doesn't mean that every conversation you have with your loved one has to always be an evangelistic conversation. That's, that's, that's probably actually not the best tact. But as you have opportunity, you ought to continue to proclaim to them the good news of, of Jesus Christ. And you ought to continue to, to invite them to, to come and to receive his grace, to find life in him. What we ought not to do is, is give up and think, well, they're just too far gone. They are, they are too hard-hearted. They are too stiff-necked. Nothing could ever reach them. May we never lose heart. May we always see the power of the gospel to reach and to convert even the most stubborn sinner. I've heard many such stories in my life. I, I, one that I remember distinctly is uh, uh, the father of a, of a good friend of mine when I was growing up. He, he wasn't a believer. He was always conspicuously absent from, from church. And, and he wasn't just absent, but he, he had all his arguments worked out. In fact, he, he had better arguments than his wife did about why none of this could be true. But yet, the family continued to pray 
The family continued to live out the gospel before him, and the family continued to, to share that gospel with him. And in time, God worked. And his heart was broken. His eyes were open. He heard and received the good news of Jesus Christ, and now he serves as a deacon uh, in one of our sister churches down in Chattanooga. There are many such stories. Those who seem too far gone, too resistant, too stiff-necked, they are not beyond the reach of Jesus' gospel. They are not beyond the reach of his grace. And so may we never lose heart, but continue to pray and to, and to minister to our loved ones who do not yet know Jesus, do not yet confess him as Lord or, or bow the knee to him. So there is a, a comfort here for us. There's, a, there's an encouragement here. And finally, there is a, a challenge here. And the challenge is, is this. Not only are your loved ones not beyond the reach of the gospel, but neither are your enemies. Your enemies are not beyond the reach of the gospel either. Who is it that, that you regard as an enemy? Who is it that, that, that you see uh, seeking your real harm? Sometimes it's an individual, someone at work, someone in your neighborhood, someone at your school. Sometimes there are, there are individuals who we regard as enemies. Often it's a group. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a group of, of people who, who we think are, are actively opposed to our best interests. For some of us, it's those you know, who are, who are uh, opposing, uh, promoting socialism in our, in our country and are going to bring our economy to a grinding halt. Some of, for some of us, it's those who are, who are promoting you know, CRT and identity politics and, and this, this uh, uh, clash of races. For others, it's, it's those who are promoting the LBGTQ agenda and are promoting the lie, Satan's lie about sexuality and, and gender in our community and are, and are threatening our, our children because they're confused. For some of us, it's those who are promoting abortion rights as if, as if this was women's health. We know those who we think of as, as actively opposed to our good, actively opposed to our welfare. Of course, for some of you, you see the enemies on the other side of the divide. You see, those who are, who are pushing unrestrained consumption, those, those who, who are uh, promoting disregard for the environment for the sake of making a, a few extra dollars, those who are promoting racism and, and tribalism, those who are promoting inhumane working conditions, those are the ones whom you see. And I would say, that actually, you're both right. <laughs> both of you are, are looking at, at true enemies, at those who are actively opposed to your good. Those who, per, who are promoting things that bring and, and cause actual harm. But the fact that you see them correctly, the fact that you, you see the truth behind their lies, the fact that you see that they are, are causing real harm doesn't change the fact that they are not beyond the reach of Jesus' gospel. <laughs> They may be your enemies. They may be actively working against your good. But this passage reminds us that God's grace is for them. And that means that you must desire and you must ask for and you must work towards 
their conversion. You must pray that God would draw them to themselves and you must, as you have opportunity, share with them the good news and call them to repentance and faith. We cannot be like Jonah who wanted only the destruction of Nineveh. He was afraid to go. Why? Not because he thought it would be a waste of his time, but because he knew it would work. He knew that if he went and preached the gospel to them, God would use that gospel to convert them, and he couldn't stand the idea of the Ninevites being saved. He couldn't stand the idea of the, the Ninevites receiving mercy. After all, they had done terrible things to the people of God. They were his enemies, and he did not want them converted. He wanted them destroyed. We cannot be like Nineveh. I mean, we cannot be like Jonah towards Nineveh, but rather we must see even our enemies as those whom God is seeking to reach. Scripture tells us that, that yes, God will one day pour out his wrath upon the wicked. He will not leave the guilty unpunished, but when he does so, he will not do so with glee. For he does not delight in the destruction of the wicked, but rather he endures with this present evil age. He is, he is slow to bring it to a close, not as some people count slowness, but because he is patient, because he is gracious, and because he longs for even his enemies to be saved. And of course that means that we must desire the same. We must seek the same. We must work towards the same. We must seek to, to, to call even our bitterest enemies to faith in the good news of the gospel. That is the challenge of this text. So when we look at Saul, we, we, we see... We see the reach and the power of God's grace, and that, that reach and that power gives us a comfort for ourselves when we are overwhelmed by the, the evil of our own sins. It gives us an encouragement when we are brokenhearted for our loved ones who, who resist God's call, and it gives us a challenge to seek the salvation even of those who actively seek our harm. This is what we learn when we look at Saul. There's, there's lessons to be learned here from Jesus too, but I don't think I have time to talk about those this morning. So we're going to save those for, for next week. But I want, I want us just to, to pause and to, to meditate upon what we see here. Think about Saul. Think about who he was. And think about what that means for us. Think about what it means for the one who is despondent over his own sins or the, the sins of his loved one. Think about what it means for the one who is harassed and, and helpless under the persecution of an enemy. God's grace is greater than all our sins. He can reach us. He can convert us. And so we must pray to this end. Pray that God would open your eyes afresh each day to see the wonders of the gospel. This isn't a one-time thing. You need to have your eyes open to this again and again and again because you will forget. And Satan will bring your sins and, and he will bring them and, and, and put them in your face and he will accuse you and he will say, no, no, you're too far gone. Remember Saul in those moments. 
Remember that God's grace is greater than all our sins. And when you are are talking to a loved one who just seems so resistant, who seems so hard-hearted, who seems so stiff-necked, who simply will not listen, who continues to, to walk in a path that leads only to death, do not lose heart. But continue to present to within the gospel that converts people like Saul. Continue to pray that God would use his word, that he would surround him with, with witnesses to the truth, and that you would even be, have opportunity to be one of those witnesses, and that through those witnesses, through that testimony, through that gospel, that he would reach them and convert them and draw them back to himself. And when you face your enemies, it is right to long for the end of their evil. But may that end not come through their destruction. May your heart's longing be that the end would come through their conversion. That God would replace their hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh to know and to love Him. That they might be converted. That they might repent. That they might be forgiven. That they might become witnesses to God's grace. Saul's conversion tells us it's possible. And because we see the, uh, the, the immense reach and, and power of God's gospel in his story, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank you for Saul's story. We thank you that you chose to use one like Saul to be your witness to take the gospel to the Gentiles. We thank you for the comfort that that gives us. We thank you for the encouragement that gives us. And we even thank you for the challenge, Father. May we hear and receive this gospel. May we believe it and may we live it out in our lives, Father. All to the praise of your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.